Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another hat episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be talking and checking out leveling up your Angular skills. So let's get after it. Uh, join us as panelists today. We've got Austin McDaniel. Austin, what's going on? How's it going, everyone? I feel like I kind of started something with the hats. It's just like, just keeps going and getting bigger. Nick, you're going to go to conferences, and there will just be people wearing hats all over the place. Could be. Could be a trendsetter. I don't know. All right. Uh, Bonnie Brennan's with us. Bonnie, what's going on? Howdy. Yeah, they told me to go get a hat. I'm in Texas, so this is <laughs> this is what we wear in Texas. Hello. Nice. Nice. Y'all put emojis on your hats, too? Only me. Yeah. I got it. I got all it. Right. All right. There it is. Very cool. Mike Brocky's <laughs> with us. Mike, what's going on? Not too much. I uh, was hoping you'd call on me first because this thing gets really warm. So I'll go take it off. You're going to have to wear it the whole time. No, we're no, no actually not. Even though it is Dece almost December. All right. And our guest today is Stephen Fluin. Stephen, how's it going? It's going great. I, I don't have a hat. All I have is this like Jedi or wizard hood. Nice. Nice. Like, like Mike pointed out, Stephen the Gray. There you go. Awesome. All right, Stephen, why don't you uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself for people who don't know, um, and then we'll kind of get into it. Sure. My name is Stephen Fluent. I'm a developer advocate on the Angular team here at Google. Uh, so my role really has two parts. Uh, the first part is to help developers and organizations be successful with Angular. Uh, and the second part is to understand what it's like to build uh, applications in the real world with Angular um, so that we can reflect those needs onto the team, make sure that we're making the right sort of uh, product decisions as we go along. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, that breaks down into uh, a, kind of a lot of different things. So I, I lead our GDE program. Um, I've, uh, I build a lot of Angular applications. I speak at a lot of Angular conferences. Just got back from uh, QCon, a workshop up in San Francisco, uh, an event in London previous to that. Uh, and then I, I work with a lot of our kind of ecosystem partners. So this is companies that are uh, either building large applications at like the enterprise level or whether that's someone that's building a cool new library or widget uh, that works on top of Angular and really makes the, the ecosystem richer and better for Angular developers. Very cool. Very cool. Do you, um, when you do that kind of work with uh, those enterprises and those other companies and stuff like that, or are they coming to you for guidance? Are they coming to you for solving problems? Like what kind of things? Do you Everything across the board. Everything from, hey, we have a thousand developers that are blocked by bug X. Can someone take a little bit more urgent look at it, maybe, if possible, um, all the way to uh, how do I think about using ng-upgrade? Uh, we, we have 600 components. This is our, our module architecture. Uh, are we thinking about this in the right way? So you're basically saying if I have bugs, I should just tweet them to you, right? Yes, and there is a very small chance that I will be able to help and, and get that elevated. <laughs> Um, but I mean, in general, so one of the things that, that we think about a lot is uh, scale, right? So how can we do the most good for the most amount of developers as fast as possible? And so, um, for example, uh, engineers can't be working all day with the community. They can't be talking all day uh, at events. Uh, and so part of my role is kind of being a multiplier where if I can ask them once this crazy, interesting question about whether change section is depth first or breadth first, uh, then I can be a multiplier and I can be a megaphone for those sorts of concepts uh, and questions in the future for other developers. And then hopefully I'm also there helping to make sure that that's 
uh, making it into our kind of standard story in terms of whether it's a, a new feature that's being announced um, or, or a document that developers are going to refer to ongoing. So if, if you have lots of developers that are affected by an issue, yes, I, I am here to help. <laughs> nice, nice. Do you feel that uh, a lot of the teams and, and the people that you contact and work with on this stuff, uh, that they understand Angular and get Angular, and then they're just trying to kind of take it to the next level? Or is there some any bit of confusion around Angular? Like, do you see people maybe not using it correctly? Or So what I'll say is that um, we released Angular, kind of the, the first version um, of this newer generation, uh, version 2.0.0 in September of 2016. Um, and since then, Angular has started becoming kind of a, a really, really safe, good, happy choice for a, a lot of developers. Um, it, it's kind of like uh, we used to be the cool kid on the block, um, and for a little while we weren't. And I, I kind of I like to think that a lot of developers feel awesome having chosen Angular, um, and so that's that's kind of the world we're in. But what I say is that there's also this kind of silent majority of developers out there. Who they're still writing Angular JS. They're they're writing in other technologies, um, and they, they're starting to get up to speed for the first time on Angular. Um, but that that path is actually pretty well worn. I mean, in terms of our tutorials, in terms of like we have some really great talks at conferences that are available on YouTube. Um, there's a bunch of companies trying to produce kind of beginner content, um, and so I, I feel like the, the the kind of millions of developers that are still coming on board with Angular and getting up to speed, they've got some really great content. They've got a lot of great support. Um, and what's happening now is um, we've always had a, a really awesome early adopter community. So developers that are, are on the bleeding edge and trying to try out, taking a look at every commit that Mishko makes to the repo. Um, but we have this this really nice kind of middle ground of developers now where they, they understand the Angular concepts um, and now they, they want to just build better applications. They want to uh, more holistically kind of take advantage of, of all the tools that we're offering, all the cool ideas, all the things that we've already thought through, um, and benefit their applications for that. And so when we were thinking about kind of future content for conferences and for events, um, we're trying to spend less time on the beginner journey and like what is a component, and more time on uh, how does lazy loading affect the, the file size of my application, or should I be considering server-side rendering, or what's a PWA, the, those sorts of questions where um, we're a little bit ahead of the curve for a lot of developers, but we think that we can help bring them into the kind of modern web um, and really help make them better developers. You mentioned earlier, um, you know, Angular seems to be the choice for like the safe um, and like happy, uh, happy path. Can you like explain that a little bit more? Like, what do you see like people really like, um, you know, sure. choosing Angular for type thing? Sure. So I, I see people choosing Angular in a lot of different contexts for a lot of different use cases. Um, it used to be that it, it kind of started at, at the big company level. So I, I have 100 developers. I have 50 developers. We need a, a way to be productive and write code that's maintainable and understandable. So we've got TypeScript. We've got all these kind of scaled tools, um, the nice declarative template syntax. Um, but now we, we've made it so much easier for kind of everyone to get on board with Angular, with our, our CLI and with our, our focus on that, um, that I think over the last 12 months we've seen a real transition where uh, before everyone was like, okay, this thing was just released. What's, what's the future for it? Are they going to rewrite it? Are they going to break all my code every time? Um, and now we have over a year of track record where that, that hasn't happened. We've released major releases. Updates are easy. Um, 
all your knowledge is still applicable and then you can kind of keep getting better every day um, and, and kind of in a lot of ways return the focus back to your job and then you are just there being awesome. Very nice. Very nice. So it, it's a, you know, good thing that uh, we're doing this show right now. Everybody kind of tuning in because talking about leveling up your skills and things like that, taking that going from beyond the basics to what are some advanced things that we can do. Right. And, and people are going to get that hopefully right now. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll kind of dive in and we'll, we'll see how this goes. You guys tell me if, if this makes sense, but uh, I wanted to basically just build out an application here live, um, start with some basic stuff, and then kind of get more and more advanced uh, as, as we go and see see how far we can get in, in the available time. Oh, live coding, yes. Yeah, so, so danger, danger. Um, but uh, basically, I, I want to kind of go through a, a few sections. And there, there's a few technologies that I talk about um, when it comes to being an advanced Angular developer. And, and advanced is a, a really tough term because it means something very different to everybody. Uh, for some people, just using Angular at all is advanced, right? Because they're, they're not uh, as up to date on web technologies in general. Uh, but then for other people, it's like, oh, how do I use multi-providers as part of the dependency injection? Or I, I want to I replace injection token with a custom implementation. Can I do that, right? Uh, I, I'm really targeting more towards the, the uh, kind of middle of that line. So people that have been building apps with uh, Angular, so they know about components, they know about inputs, outputs, they know about services, all these things. Um, and then I, I want to give you some kind of uh, tricks that, that can make those things even better and maybe explain along the way uh, some of the, the whys of, of why we do some of these things. So let me, let me share my screen here. All right. Can you see this? Yes. I assume that's good. All right. So... This is a brand new uh, Angular application that I just scaffolded out. Uh, so I used the CLI, I ran ng-new, uh, and then I ran ng-serve. So in the background, we should have a couple things. We should have uh, localhost 4200 here. Uh, and then in our IDE, we should have a standard CLI application. Um, I explicitly didn't choose any options here um, because I wanted to kind of really go through from scratch in terms of uh, adding these things to an existing application. Uh, so the first thing I do whenever I build an Angular application is I add the router module. You guys can just make fun of me in, in chat whenever I, I make dumb mistakes. That's that's going to be half the fun, I think, here. There but are no you, dumb mistakes here. We're... There's, there's going to be a few of them, though, and I'm going to need your help to find them. There'll be challenges. Okay. It's a, it's a demonstration of debugging. Yes, yes. How easy and or hard Angular is to, to debug. Um, so now I have a simple application with uh, empty router. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the CLI to generate out a few things. So I'm going to generate a new home component. I'm going to generate a about module. And then I'm going to CD into that module and generate another component. OK, so we've created a lazy loaded module. We've created a. Uh, client route or a, a synchronously loadable component. And so this should have been added. So we got a declarations, got it in our imports. Uh, and so now I'm going to add a couple configs here. So I'm going to say for the root path, just load the home component. Sometimes you just, just have to trust the uh, autocomplete. So there's, there's two mistakes I make in every live coding demo. Uh, number one is I fight with the IntelliSense a lot. And then the second is that I forget to save files. 
Okay, so um, what I've done here is, is people, most people are familiar with Angular routing, but the, the magic here is for the second route, instead of routing to a component, I'm going to route to a module. And so what I'm going to use is I'm going to use the path to that module, so uh, dot slash about, about dot module, and then I'm going to use the symbol name about module. And then uh, because we're routing to a module instead of a component, I actually need to add the routing module here. We'll import that form. Um, I'm going to say for child. Uh, and so what for child does is instead of setting up uh, kind of routing for the whole application, this just says, okay, for this module, what are the routes that are going to exist in it? So this uh, module is basically going to be loaded into the slash about path. So I can just say blank here. And then we'll synchronously refer to our about component. So uh, the last thing I need is a kind of a dummy navigation. Yeah, go ahead. Before you go any further, can you go back to that route with the load children and explain what the two sides of the hashtag are, just so that people understand what that syntax is actually doing? Sure, sure. So uh, the first half here is the name of the file where we're going to find our module. So relative to the current path, we're going in the about folder and referring to the about.module. Um, with all file paths in Angular, you don't use the .ts because uh, what happens is we, we want uh, TypeScript to kind of magically uh, add those as appropriate. So this is actually referring to the TypeScript file here right now. Uh, but after compilation or after transpilation from TypeScript down to JavaScript, this will refer to the JavaScript file. So we just leave the file paths off when we're, we're using a CLI um, because of that kind of switching between TypeScript and JavaScript, which I don't want to have to think about. And so the tooling does a really good job of that. Um, and then the, the pound sign here, the octothorpe, I think it's called, uh, we have the symbol name. So if I look in the about module, I, I see about module. So if I change the symbol name, I would need to change that string. Uh, and the reason it's a string is because we, we need to refer to it in a way that can be loaded asynchronously. If we refer to the symbol here, then all of the code for about module would kind of need it to be uh, loaded synchronously into this uh, module, and it would kind of bloat up our application. So where was I? I think I was going to add a, a little bit of navigation here. So I'm going to say router link equals root. We'll just go home with that. We'll say a router link equals about. All right, and then I need to add my router of it so we know where to render the routes that we've got. Uh, so I've just coded out uh, a basic application with a few different components. Uh, and hey, look, it already works. So level up, home, about. Apparently, I did not make one a router link. One works. Let's see if about works. Great. And so the, the real magic here I did as a developer is that I took all of the code for the about um, module out of the critical path. So if I look at the networking tab here, what I'll see is that uh, we only load the about module when we are on the about route. So when I'm here, you're not going to see the about module. Uh, and then as needed, we load it. So as soon as I navigate to the about, we go and fetch that in the background. Um, so that that's actually so most mid-level developers know about uh, the automatic code splitting that happens from the CLI and the ability to lazy load routes. Um, but one of the things that they probably don't know about is that the full root method here can actually take something else. And so what it can take is a preloading strategy. Uh, and there's a, a strategy that comes out of the box called preload all modules. So what this does is this still takes the about module, oops, uh, 
this still takes the about module out of the critical path for rendering. But what it does is it automatically, as soon as that first route is loaded, it's going to go and try and load all of the other uh, modules. And so this is actually really important because uh, when I'm building a large application, maybe I don't want a round trip event for that about uh, tab to load. So now when we look at this, I load about. About's going to load, take, uh, or home is going to load, and then we're going to load about module in the background so that as soon as I click, I get an instantaneous screen flip. Any questions about that? Can you talk about when you'd want to use that versus not want to use that? Uh, so you want to use that whenever you are willing to pay the network cost of loading your other modules, but you don't want to pay the critical path cost. Is there a way to identify and only load some pre pre uh, only some modules? For instance, like maybe a user clicks about like all the time, but there's three other pages that they never click. And yep, yep. I want to load about automatically, but I don't care about the other three pages. Yep, yep, there is one more way of doing that. So I, they're called custom preload strategies. And so what I can do is I can say export class, uh, config-based strategy. So this is just the name of my strategy, so I'm making this up. Uh, and it's going to implement that interface that we talked about, the uh, preloading strategy. And uh, one thing to note is if VS Code ever imports something that's very deep, it's probably wrong. So apologies about that. I'm not sure why VS Code does that. Uh, so now I have uh, created this class. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to implement a single method called preload. This is required by the interface. And that's going to take a route and a function called load. Uh, and then that needs to return an observable, I'll just say of any here. Uh, and so a very common thing that uh, you can do is you can use RxJS um, to kind of combine this information. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll import the of uh, feature of the observable. So from RxJS observable slash of. And then what I can do is uh, let's just import these real quick. No, see, that's wrong. Sorry, imports are hard. I believe it's uh, from RxJS add observable, David. Not anymore. Really? <laughs> and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, because uh, we, we've kind of leveled up our, our use of RxJS for a couple of reasons. Um, so if, if we can get, if you can remind me to come back to that, uh, we'll, we'll give that a try. So here I want to just return route.data. And then I want to check if the route.data dot preload will load. Otherwise, we'll just return an observ uh, empty observable. So what I'm doing here, let's just make this an any, just get rid of the errors for a moment. Um, what I'm doing is uh, the router is basically going to ask my preloading strategy, my config-based pre preloading strategy, which modules it should load. So it'll hand it a path and say, should I preload this? And so what I can do now uh, is because I can get at the route data, I can make a new option called uh, route.preload, I should say data. So what I can say here is data preload true, or I could say data preload false, and I could set that on every single uh, lazy loaded route that I have. Let's ask the auto formatter to make this a little bit prettier. Okay, 
another advanced Angular tip. So there is a really fantastic extension called Angular Extensions, or Angular Essentials by John Papa. I, I highly recommend you install it if you're using VS Code. Um, and it installs a whole bunch of really helpful snippets and things like that. Um, my only gripe with this is that it includes a tool called Prettier, which tries to make your code pretty. Um, but Prettier actually fights with VS Code a little bit. Um, and there's a, a relatively simple trick you can do to overcome this. And so your package.json accepts a Prettier key, um, or it allows it. Uh, and I can do things like trailing comma. Let's make that uh, ES5 mode, because arrays can have extra trailing commas, and they make things uh, more beautiful and easier to read. Let's not fight about tab width here. Let's just call it two. Uh, and then one of the important ones, single quote. So TSLint really likes single quotes. I'll make that true. Uh, and we'll just leave print width the same. So uh, now that I've, I've configured Prettier, when we reformat this, much better. OK, so now Prettier and um, my TS config aren't fighting. So you can see I've got a new uh, data attribute here on my route, and I'm saying preload true. I could set this to true, false. I could set this based on um, some user information. I could really do whatever I want to define this custom uh, preload strategy. And another thing, while you're talking about like route data, like you can put all kinds of metadata about your routes in there. One thing I like to do is put like page title information in there. Yes, you were just going there. <laughs> yeah. So um, there, there's two things that that I in my applications I almost always do. Um, I create a title and I create something that, that's totally custom. I, I just invented this called depth. Um, and the reason that I, I use depth. Uh, Obviously, page title, we, we set that to page title. Um, and the way that I often do that is I would just listen for uh, navigation events as part of my root module. And then whenever a navigation event ends, uh, I load the page title from the route that's currently loaded. And I, I set that page title using the title service. Uh, but then I set depth because uh, I find that um, hierarchical animations are really important for communicating where users at within an application. and so. Uh, by setting, instead of saying, OK, here's the 50 pages of my application and the custom transitions I want to make between every page of my app, um, I say, what depth is a page at? And then I have it render uh, a kind of left or right wipe based on where they are in the hierarchy. So if, if I'm descending the hierarchy, we're going to get this nice, uh, everything comes in from the right, and the current content goes off to the left. Uh, and if I'm going the other way, it comes in from the left. Uh, and it just basically says, Yes, you're going deeper. Yes, you're going uh, shallower in the kind of hierarchy of my application. Nice. Can, can you also uh, describe really quick uh, the difference between data and, say, uh, resolving data for the routes? Sure. I think so I data is explicitly bit. data about the route, whereas resolvers are useful for fetching data that's being used uh, from within the route, from the component or the, the module that you're loading. So is data a convention, or is data like a reserved keyword that you sh should put all of your route data in? Uh, data is a, con uh, a reserved keyword that you should put all your route data in. So you can see the type here. It's uh, basically an, an, any sort of object where uh, you, you put data in. So yes, that you, you cannot. I, I don't believe you can create the, the broad key parameter. No, that's, that's going to error out. It's not valid. Data is reserved. I'm, I'm usually invalid. 
But but data is part of your route definition. I mean, built yeah. at the time that that thing scaffolds up. So it's it's not like a dynamic piece of data that's going to go in there. Correct. Yes. Resolve. Yeah. You can use resolve at runtime to figure things out on the fly. Data should not be that way. It's part of the config. All right. So I I think I'm going to leave this here, and then I'm going to go do one more. Uh, advanced AUR thing uh, and talk a little bit about, I think RxJS would be the, the best um, next concept. Uh, actually, I'll just touch on two things real quick. So uh, a lot of people do ng-build or ng-serve. You've probably heard of it. I'm running it right here. Uh, and then a lot of people do ng-build. Oops, did we just, I just killed my terminal. From right um, so what I recommend developers do uh, because this this actually will become a default at some point in the future is the hope. Uh, run ng-serve with dash dash AOT. Um, as a version 5, AOT should be much, much faster. Um, fast enough to be suitable for use with this ng-serve environment. Uh, and then you can be sure that you're getting the exact same output and the, the exact same performance characteristics uh, that you're going to get in uh, production build. So like if you, if you use invalid uh, metadata resolution in your ng-module, for example, you'll see an error with dash dash AOT that you won't necessarily see in ng-serve. Um, and the other thing that I, I highly recommend is uh, ng-build dash prod. Uh, I basically always generate source maps because I don't care about security for most of my applications. Um, but then, let's say, I think it's named chunks. Is that right? Uh, because, again, naming your chunks, so, so getting out an admin.module instead of a, a uh, 0.chunk, uh, is much more useful for you as a developer. Uh, and as I said, there, there's nothing that's in your code that uh, we're kind of giving away other than this is the code for the admin module. So now I get a nice admin.module instead of zero.chunk. So I, I always leave that on. Um, it's by default in ng-serve. All right. Uh, oh, the reason I do source maps is because then I can get out uh, this very nice source map explorer. So if I do another build with source maps, what I can see is, um, if I use a globally installed tool like Source Map Explorer, I can see where all my file size is coming from. And so if you don't have that, you can just yarn add or yarn global add or npm-g install uh, Source Map Explorer. And then it should look like this, where you can say dist, and I'll just say main Yes. That's submitting. All right, that's done. You'll get out this very nice chart that says, OK, here's how much RxJS you're using. Here's the router. If I didn't use the router, I, I would save these 70 KB. Um, and then, so, so this is actually a pretty small, pretty good application, but if I accidentally import something like, uh, I don't know, Firebase or Lodash or some giant kind of third-party library, uh, Source Map Explorer is often the way to know that, that you're actually including in those in your production bundles when you may not be intending to. When you, uh, uh, serve, you not, when you serve with AOT, uh, are you able to still go into the dev tools and pull up files and navigate around breakpoint and stuff like that? Uh, yes, but then you're, you're navigating around um, compiled code. So if I, if I take a look at this and we look at the sources, um, so none of the code will be minified, but it will be compiled. So you're going to see a lot more document.create elements, and you won't have the, the templates here. It's a little bit of friction if you're doing dev work and, and using the dev tools, but benefit because you get visibility in terms of AOT compilation. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's part of the reason why the team hasn't turned this on by default, is they just want to look through the, the kind of 
remaining UX and DX issues for that. I, I hey, think that some of the source map um, settings are being looked at in order to make that experience a little bit more seamless. Is it just me, but I can never get source maps to work, right? Like, I just flat out turn them off. It's just so much easier. Oh, really? I think I work all right. Like, the breakpoints bounce around and all that type of stuff. Like, the first thing I do is just disable, and I'm like, yeah. I, I feel the exact opposite. I love source maps, because then when I go into my... Uh, component here, and I let's make a something that will fail in JIT. Uh, so click equals vadoodle. See if the compiler catches that. No, it looks like it compiled successfully because we're in JIT mode. And then we, we go to our console. Oh, I, I never actually provided that strategy. So let's just, for the sake of completeness, go and do that real quick. All right, so we're throwing an Angular error, and it's killing the whole page here. So let me uh, observe the log and do that again. So when I click on this event, oh, are we in, uh, do we never refresh since going into dev mode? Hey, Stephen, while you're doing that, there was a question in the chat. Uh, it's kind of a delayed uh, reaction, but you were talking about the preload strategy mm -hmm. and the custom preload strategy, and they want to know if you can load the route after a few second delay with that custom config strategy. So I believe you can. Uh, I think resolvers would be a better way to do that. Um, uh, no, no, okay. So if, if I, I was confused. So if you are trying to say, hey, whenever this route loads, uh, make it wait two seconds before doing something, uh, mm -hmm. that would probably be a resolver, right? If you need to go fetch a piece of data or resolve something synchronously. If you are saying, hey, don't preload my routes until after two seconds, that definitely you can do with preload strategy. Does that return, a, that return an observable, right? Yes, exactly. So, so you can do you just use an operator to do that? Yep. All right, so uh, what I was going to show off is not going to work, uh, and we're running out of time here. So I, I do want to jump into a few kind of uh, RxJS tips and tricks. So one of the yeah. things that came out with v5 um, is this idea of what we call lettable operators. And so a lot of developers are used to importing like RxJS, add operator, map. Uh, and so this will still work. So this is kept in for backward compatibility. But what, this is actually undesirable for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we can't tree shake this if you never use this. Uh, second, this actually ends up having side effects. So because this is a, a set of code that runs imperatively and modifies the prototype of uh, observables, uh, there's no way for us to say, uh, to, to kind of isolate where these things come from. So for example, if I add this here, suddenly map will work over in my about module some of the time. Right, so if the home com if this home module loads first, uh, then map will be available here. If it doesn't, then it won't be available there. Um, and so this is some very kind of uh, hard to predict, hard to understand code. And so they've now added um, what are called lettable operators. So I can now import map, switch map, start with uh, all these tools that I'm going to be using from RxJS slash operators. Uh, and then how I would use those is I would make an HTTP call, let's say. So we're going to need the uh, HTTP client module here. So let's just import that. 
I'm just going to make a, a simple HTTP request first. Uh, so we need to provide this. So we're going to import the HTTP client module. Imported from the right place. And that's what the RX is five? Uh, five, five, I believe. So the, the version that we, we recommend you use with Angular, and I, I think we require it, is five, five and above, five, five, two and above, to be super specific. Um, and so, yeah, the, these, these letterable operators come with 5.5. Five. Uh, so now we've got HTTP client, so we can make an HTTP call. So I could make like a list of repositories, and I could say this.repositories is equal to HTTP I get. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll just pass in a path here. I usually keep this handy. There it is. So this is a path to a GitHub API request that gives us a list of Angular repos. Uh, and then let's render this out to the screen. So let's say div for lab repo of repos, async repo.name, repo.description. So this would be great, but our API is not shaped like we want it to be. If we take a look at this API, we actually see that we, we don't want the full result set. We want the items array from it. And so we need to use the map operator. And so normally you would just say .get.map. But instead, now that we've got these lettable operators, which are tree shakeable and code splittable and all these kind of nice properties, uh, I'm going to pass, I'm going to use the pipe method, and then I'm going to say map response to response.items. Uh, so that pipe operator is how we use multiple operators. So I could do multiple maps here if I just I can say map that, that. Um, and we'll, we'll see in a second how I can use this with other operators. Let's, let's go ahead and see if that actually worked. So theoretically on screen, we should now see a list of Angular repositories on the home page. There it is. So our HTTP calls coming in, we're mapping the, the stream of data, uh, and because we're subscribing to it from the component, everything's rendering fine. Uh, so the, the two advanced strategies I want to touch on kind of quickly uh, is I, I'm going to give a dirty, simple caching strategy. Um, because this is really cool, but what if I want this to work um, without waiting for the network? Uh, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to uh, create a subscription. So normally, you would not do this. Normally, you would do this in a service. But uh, so let's just assume I'm doing this in the service. So I'm going to subscribe. And so this is going to be an item list. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that item list, and I'm going to say, Local storage cache or item list cache equals item or JSON dot stringify item list. Now what we're doing is every time we get a new item list, so every time this HTTP call completes, we're going to save the results. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to redefine this dot repos to be this dot repos dot pipe. I'm going to use this starts with operator. And then I'm going to say, I want you to start with local storage item list cache. And actually, we need to JSON parse this. Uh, and if you don't have that, just give me an empty array. So again, I'm redefining this, this observable of repositories into being a new observable that starts with the value from local storage. 
Oh, I've got a linting rule that's telling me not to do this, but I, I think we'll be okay. Um, so again, so I'm saying here's a stream that fetches this data from the web. Whenever that data finishes, store it locally. And then whenever someone from the UI asks for this thing, immediately synchronously give them a copy from local storage if we have it. And then as soon as the request from the web has completed, replace that. So that's, that's this really nice start with operator. So uh, what we should see, and I, I don't want to turn my network down uh, just because it might mess up the Hangout. Uh, what will happen is this will load synchronously first. And then as soon as the HTTP call completes, it will replace all the results uh, transparently. And so as we start building kind of more and more of these offline applications or kind of resilient applications that are capable of not being affected by network requests, um, this is a really cool strategy that I, I personally use with basically all of my HTTP calls um, because it it's very automatic and very kind of easy to understand what it's doing. Any questions about that? And one other strategy you could do for that would be like service workers, right? Like you can cache the response from service workers and include that in your payload, if I'm correct. Yes, yes, you absolutely can. So. Um, Service workers are, are another advanced topic. I, I don't know if I have time or if you guys want me to try and dive into that. Um, but service workers are um, a really powerful set of new APIs that basically collect us from, instead of these idea of like a bunch of single pages or sites, um, into we're building a full application that the browser and that the, the internet at large can understand. Uh, and so the, the kind of, uh, this is how you get things like the coloring of the toolbar in Chrome on Android. Um, this is how you get uh, add to home screen prompts for your, your web application. Uh, and then we get a cool, a couple really cool, important APIs. Um, the first is the ability to proxy all network requests. Um, so because uh, you can now set up a service worker to cache all of your assets, so whether it's HTTP calls, whether it's your, your main.js bundle, things like that, um, you can proxy those so that the user can access your application, your web application, even when they are offline. Um, and so the service worker can handle all of your application code. It can even handle uh, static files you can generate. Um, if you need to uh, do something like caching of process data, then a, a strategy like this can, can give you all that offline capability as well. Um, the other really important API that service workers give you access to is push notifications. So when you visit a website, um, they can install service worker. And then if you give the uh, website permissions, they can then remotely from a server uh, initiated event, wake up your web application service worker and show you a notification or interact with your application a little bit. Um, and one of my, my favorite ways to kind of show this off is if you go in Chrome uh, into the dev tools in a modern recent version, and you go to the application, this is where you're going to see everything related to progressive web apps or PWAs. So if your application has a manifest, you'll see that here. Um, if you have a service worker installed, you'll see that here. Uh, and you can even look into all of the cache that's being created and uh, managed by your service worker. And as I was saying, one of my favorite things to do is hit show all here um, because people are always kind of shocked at how many websites are already using service worker. So all of these sites were just kind of random sites that I visited. I didn't have, as a user, ever have to make a choice to install um, these things. But these apps were allowed to install a service worker, and then the browser is protecting me, ensuring that uh, the service worker is not using too much memory, using too much disk space. Um, and uh, just because brow uh, browsers have such good security, Chrome in particular, um, these 
uh, applications aren't able to kind of do anything malicious, right? They can only be served over HTTPS, so you know they're authenticated. Uh, and then the app uh, is has these very nice APIs that uh, allow you to kind of um, progressively enhance the experience you're delivering to users whenever the browser supports it. Can you touch briefly on uh, web workers and like what's the difference between source worker? Sure. Web Let me stop screen sharing here if I can find the button. There we are. Um, so service workers are actually just a special class of uh, web workers. And so web workers are, uh, as a lot of us know, it's, it's basically the first time we were able to get access to a second thread as part of JavaScript. Um, but in getting access to that second thread, we gave up direct access to DOM, for example. Um, and service workers are the exact same, where we get a, a brand new thread of JavaScript with it, its own lifecycle. Um, but then service workers, because they're the special type of web worker, um, they get access to these other APIs. And so are there use cases for people building any other apps and using web worker like that we could divine? Or maybe? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, service worker is probably going to be the most common use of web workers. Um, but we, we also see that a lot of Angular developers are building applications for desktop. Um, and when you build an application for desktop, there's a really cool technology called Electron, which basically ships side by side a uh, version of the Chrome browser, Chromium, and a node instance. And because you have both of these things, um, and because they can communicate, you can run some of your application on the node server uh, or in a web worker, and then you can do some of the communicate or run some of your your application, the, the DOM focused stuff, in the browser. Um, and this gives you a couple neat properties like access to the file system, which is not something we typically get with a web app. Um, the other use case that we talk about for web workers um, is the, the idea that by taking your JavaScript processing, let's say you want to uh, do some traveling salesman or complex problem uh, where you need to run a lot of code or you're doing encoding or SSL or something like that, um, if you take that off of the UI thread, because JavaScript runs on the UI thread, uh, you can dramatically improve the, the feel of your application so that things like scrolling or re-rendering or click events don't get interrupted by all that background processing. So web workers are, I'll, I'll say, still rather nascent. Um, not a lot of developers are using them. But on the AUR team, um, we're, we're looking at ways that we can make it simple and easy enough to take advantage of web workers um, so that developers get the benefit without having to go do a whole bunch of work. Um, and this is kind of a recurring theme from the, the Angular team right now is we want you to write Angular code the way that you're writing Angular code today. And then we want to start kind of as automatically as possible, make your code go further, whether that's that's projects like uh, shipping your code as a, a custom element, so like a self-bootstrapping standards-based custom element with our Angular Elements project, whether that's adding service workers on top of it so it works offline and caches and all, the, all these sorts of things. Um, to Angular Universal. So th these are all projects that exist today. But uh, I see us going even further in the future. Um, so this is not something we started. We haven't even started designing any of these things. Um, but uh, for example, WebAssembly. This is a really cool technology that lets you run more code closer to bare metal. Um, because Angular has a compilation process and because um, we're so kind of uh, opinionated about the whole tool chain, Theoretically, there might be a future universe where we can say, yeah, web, uh, it makes sense to ship WebAssembly, uh, and we'll just turn that on for some parts of your application. Uh, or uh, another example of this is we've had uh, kind of ES2015 or, or uh, module, uh, ES2015 modules or JavaScript modules for a while now, uh, and they've been taken advantage of by tools like Rollup and Webpack. 
but it wasn't actually an, an API that was implemented by the browsers. Uh, but just this year, these APIs are starting to be implemented by the browsers. Now, they, they actually look different. So how you resolve paths, how you load these things, when you load them, uh, is different between doing it at build time versus runtime. But the, there might be a world where we say, hey, instead of doing all this upfront, uh, it's now better to do this in the browser. And then we could kind of opt you into those sorts of things. Or, or even better, on browsers that it is a good idea, opt you in. On browsers that it's not a good idea, still ship the old code and then kind of get best of both worlds. And so this is kind of how I, I really like to think about Angular is the, the stability of an application platform that you, you know and you know the tools and they all work together, um, plus the, the best of the modern web as the, the team can kind of lean in, watch for these things, try and understand them, try and make uh, the experience better for you. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, I think that's one, one of the great, great, great things, things and the challenging things with Angular being a platform, right? Is that it has this opportunity to cover all these things, and as new things come in, it's it's you know the, the team is working on the story of how do you do all that. So we as developers get that advantage, right? So that's awesome. But then it's a lot of stuff that yeah. the team has to do to keep going and keep living and, and stay on top of, right? We're we're, we're taking that on for you. Uh, I I have a whole bag full of examples. Here's another one for you. Um, in version five that we just shipped, we we shipped a. Uh, a new service worker. We haven't announced it yet because the, the tooling is not yet ready in the CLI. Um, but we, we have this new service worker, which uh, we basically rewrote from scratch because we, we had a service worker previously. Um, and there's also awesome tools from the, the Chrome team like Workbox. Um, but what we found is that some of these tools break developer expectations. And so, for example, if you add a service worker to your application, when you hit refresh, your application isn't going to actually reload. You're not going to get the latest source code. What's going to happen is your browser is going to ask the service worker for the source code. Um, and if you haven't closed all of the tabs pointing at your app, service worker by default is uh, not going to shut down and reinstall the new one. And so it's not going to update its files. And so this is something that, that if you've never worked with service workers, is really non-intuitive. The, the fact that refresh and empty cache doesn't actually get me the, the latest version of my files. Um, and so in our service worker, we, we've done a ton of work to better align kind of these cool powers that we're getting with developer expectations. So we, we kind of re-implement some of the, the service worker lifecycle events uh, so that uh, if you use the Angular service worker, um, when you reload a page, we are going to go update the caches. Uh, and then the second reload, you'll actually get all of those right files, even if you have another tab open that isn't up to date. So, so we re-implemented the lifecycle events per tab versus per kind of session. Um, and this, this was a tough choice to make because we, we, as much as possible, always want to follow the standards and um, kind of leverage the best of the web. But at the end of the day, we're, we're accountable to developers and users for building awesome applications. Um, and this was something that, that made developers' lives easier. And it made it easier for kind of um, developers that are, are not doing these things every day and they're, they're really trying to get back to work, so to say, uh, to start taking advantage of these things. Yeah, and that's part of the key to adoption, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's important. So with those new cool things coming um, that aren't quite ready yet, will you come back on and talk to us about those? I'd be happy to. Yeah, just, just put it on the calendar. And I'll, I'll tell you when those things are ready, because they'll be ready soon. We have a couple of questions in the uh, YouTube chat, if we have time. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to paste these into the Hangouts chat so you can see the questions. OK. 
And I, I apologize if I was going really fast. I just there, there's so many things to cover and, and so many awesome things that I, I wanted to try and get through as much as I could. No, that was no, that cool. was great. And and everybody can watch the video and pause it, so no problem because it's recorded. So YouTube sports like uh, 0.5 speed or 0.75 speed. Yeah. Um, I love so those little tricks that don't take very. It's just like one line of code, like the preload, and it just is so easy. Uh, so question number one, what about Angular language service for VS Code? It's no longer working in V5. Uh, I have not heard about it not working in V5. Uh, that's actually a, a surprise to me. Um, I have it installed, and I believe it's working, and I'm on V5. So if there is an issue. Uh, I think that might be an isolated thing, because uh, I, okay. I don't have any problems. And then the commenter right underneath that said he wasn't having any problems. So uh, battery. battery uh, the person who wrote that, uh, you might just go check and see if maybe it's something about your environment. Yeah, I mean, check your, your versions, and then if there is a, a valid bug, uh, file an issue. Or, or asking the Gitter if you're having trouble, things like that. There, there's lots of really good community resources. Uh, the second question is, please tell us about Flex Layout. Uh, is it maintained by Google? What's the roadmap? Um, so Flex Layout is uh, a bit of a standalone project. Um, it is supported by Google. Um, in order to build out some of the, the same features that we had for in AUR.js for layout. Um, so using kind of a programmatic style for uh, making a page responsive to different screen sizes and things like that. Um, I would say I, I'm not actually up to speed on its roadmap, um, but for the, the most part, one of the, the things that is, is kind of interesting is when I, I talk to Angular developers, uh, a lot of them are looking for an Angular way to do everything. They want an Angular way to write CSS. They want an Angular way to lay out their pages. They want an Angular way to be responsive. Um, Flex Layout is a really good project. And there's a lot of cases where you need Flex Layout, the, the kind of component uh, or the set of directives from that Flex Layout project. Uh, but I would say take a look at the project holistically and say, do you need uh, to use a, a directive and an, make it Angular style? Or could I just be using Display Flex? Um, uh, I think a lot of developers learning things like Display Flex, it, it's another tool in your toolbox that, that makes you a better developer. Um, and it, it'll actually allow you to solve some problems that Flex Layout can't solve for you. And so um, uh, Flex Layout is going to continue to exist. Uh, I don't know about the roadmap. Uh, it's supported by our team. Um, but make sure you're using it in the right places where you need more of this programmatic inference of like, hey, based on the page layout, based on the user size, um, how do I want to respond to the page? Um, if it's just pure presentation, just uh, show things in columns, uh, definitely just check out the kind of bare CSS uh, display flex. Uh, I, I shout out to Flexbox Froggy, which is one of the, the best tutorials that I've used for learning Flexbox. And we had an episode uh, on flex layout not too long ago. So I would definitely go back um, and check out that episode. We had Thomas on talking about it. Yes, Thomas yeah, is awesome. was like a, It was like an hour and a half long. We kept him here. It was, he kept going and going. So it's a great episode on uh, Flex Layout. You can just go to angular.com and see a list of them. And you'll find it there. And, and hopefully I've not misrepresented. So I, I have not uh, been as uh, involved with Flex Layout project. I think that's a good point that you make, right? And as part of the challenge of Angular being a platform is how much do you cover, right? How much does the team put into all, all those spaces? And yeah, know, I mean, like it, it's it's really funny comparing AngularJS to Angular, so the older generation to the, the newer generation. Um, 
Angular is actually a lot simpler than AngularJS was. What we do yeah, is, it is we just lean on the modern web more. So you have to go learn uh, ES2015. You have to know about imports and classes. Uh, you have to know about bundling and all, and all these things. So uh, one of my, my favorite expressions is uh, Angular apps look day one like AngularJS applications looked after two months. Right? Because you, you would start, you would throw a script tag in, and then you say, oh, God, I should refactor this into multiple files. OK, now I want something like TypeScript. Now I want to concat and minify. OK, well, that's not enough. Now I want to uglify my application. Like, you, we would do all of this work to make good AngularJS applications. Um, but Angular apps look like that from day one. And I, I think that's, that's a really exciting thing uh, that I, I've heard from a lot of people that like, they feel like learning Angular made them a better developer overall, which was, uh, I think, not an intentional thing, but we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> so before you go, I have a question for you. What is, uh, what is the future like? What, what does that look like? Is there anything big coming that's like you can give us you know, a little peek about or something like that? Um, sure. So in general, we're, we're actually an open source project. So uh, we're, we're pretty public about everything. I mean, we talk about things at conferences. We talk about things at events. So there, there's not really a lot of secrets. So um, I, I think this, this trend of smaller, faster, easier to use is something that we're, we're really continuing and something that we're kind of doubling down on is, is how do we make your apps better um, with the existing code you're, you're writing. So I, I think you'll hope to, to see some of that. Um, but then. Also, all these other kind of side projects, I, I hope that uh, we continue to build better tooling for them, um, make it even easier to stay up to date, um, server-side render application, PWA, take advantage of all of these things. So I, I want to see someday where we've made all these tools good enough that we flip all the switches and every Angular app is server-side rendered and PWA'd and running a web worker and all these things. And if I can piggyback off of that, there were two things that I recently heard about that I was pretty excited about at, at uh, Angular Connect which was one, obviously, the Angular Elements is pretty cool. I'm going to be following that pretty closely. And also, if you want to hear about the latest, greatest, top secret uh, new things, you should check out Angular Labs. It's not top secret, but, but it's a good place to find it, the It's not top cool. secret, and there's nowhere to check it out. <laughs> you, can't, you can't, like, go. We, we don't have a list of Angular Labs it's just projects marked. like that. It's, it's really just a, a, a label we're starting to apply to projects to indicate um, this has an uncertain API and an uncertain kind of result. So, uh, yeah. So as soon as it comes out with the, you can't like stamp it with the, we can, we can like get an RSS feed going to everything Angular Labs. It's because what we ended up doing was uh, we used to call APIs experimental, but mm -hmm. no one knew they were experimental. And so they started relying on them and then we, they effectively weren't experimental. And so we're, we're trying to do a better job of, of level setting expectations. So that, that's where the Angular Labs, that's one of the reasons the Angular Labs label came around. I like it. Nice. The All right, well, we're edge. at the top of the hour. So we better uh, wrap this thing up. Let's do some picks, and then we'll uh, call it a day. Uh, let's go through our panelists. Mike, do you have any picks? No, I've got I've one. Thanks. Oh, oh Stephen's got to run. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> He's out. The room was needing to be occupied. All right, well, hey, thanks to Steven. Really appreciate him coming on uh, and giving us all this information. So we'll do our picks, and then we'll, we'll call it good. So, Mike. I have no technical picks, but I do have one uh, non-technical. Uh, the Punisher. So The Punisher was a character introduced in Daredevil Season 2 on Netflix. Uh, but he got, or The Punisher got its own series, and Season 1 was released last the end of last week. So check that out. I'm excited to watch that here in the, over 
Thanksgiving break. Nice. Nice. More things for the queue, right? <laughs> All right, uh, Austin, what do you got? Yeah, I've got a, a couple. Um, so SQL Studio uh, was released by Microsoft like a week or maybe two weeks ago. Um, but I was looking at it today, and I noticed that it's actually an Angular app. And so if you want, if you have not downloaded that app, it's a pretty crapper. It's a pretty nice um, Electron Angular app that you can download to like Query SQL or MS SQL, Postgres, and a couple other ones. But the really cool parts of the code, since it's all Angular, you can kind of dive in there and check out the directives and whatnot. Um, another one I have is Team Discussions by GitHub came out, I think it was yesterday or day before, uh, which allows you to like have, it's basically like a form for your open source project where your team can like either privately or publicly discuss, you know, upcoming topics and things like that. Something that GitHub's been needing for a while, I feel like. And then another one is uh, Bazel is a alternative like build engine um, that you can use uh, to build Angular. And uh, the awesome team at Narwhal uh, put out a post about that on how to use Angular with Bazel. That's it. Cool. Uh, Bonnie, you have anything today, or I do. I didn't have one, but I but I actually did because I I uh, came up with one. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember Dave Gettys. You should remember Dave Gettys because he's super fun, uh, and he's one of the organizers of NGComp, and he did Flexbox Zombies, which I found really cool uh not that long ago so he just released uh css critters what is it uh grid critters so uh if you if you like flexbox zombies you will love uh grid critters and go check it out because it's he's just super fun i love that guy nice all right i got two but it's not uh, you don't know you're sorry i was gonna no, say go you don't know you're learning it's like a it's like a video game like it's not actually like a tutorial it's it's like playing a game but you learn on the fly by accident. Yeah, those are very awesome. And uh, he puts a lot of work into all the graphics and the, and the layout and all the, the concept behind it. It's, it's really uh, great. So you definitely should check that out. I agree. All right, I got two. Uh, first one is NG Vikings, which is coming up in uh, on March 1st and 2nd of 2018 next year in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, tickets are on sale. Uh, there's a pretty awesome speaker lineup for that event. So you should check that out. Um, and then my second pick is uh, Justin Searles has a gist about how he does this. It's called the five minute backpack demo. And it kind of breaks down how he packs and for traveling. Uh, packs really, really extremely light. Uh, I've been doing some traveling a lot this year, more than I normally do, and, and probably some more next year. And so I'm kind of uh, starting to get addicted to this. How can I pack way lighter? It, it, this is pretty extreme, but uh, there's some cool elements in there. So it's uh, it's on his, uh, it's just gist.github.com slash S-E-A-R-L-S. You can check it out there. And uh, it's the five-minute backpack demo, but it has some cool products and stuff that he uses. So pretty cool. All right. That's it. Uh, we got some good shows coming up uh, in the pipe. So definitely check us out. And we will catch you next week. See ya.